You know, I'm, I'm glad you're here today. And I, I'm beginning to question and wonder if I should have chosen the word that I chose for this year, adventure. Because the last two weekends, it's just been an adventure to, uh, to get here. But uh, we're grateful for each and every one of you that are here this morning. And we had people that ventured out in the first hour, and we're grateful for them. We had some first-time guests. So we're, uh, we want to be a church that, that has worship here when at all possible. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, later today. But this morning we're concluding our brief four-week overview of the book of Acts in a series that we've entitled Unstoppable as we look at the adventure of the early church. And during this series of messages, we've examined some major themes in the book of Acts, one of adventure. We talked about that our first week. We talked two weeks ago about dramatic life change that came into one guy's life, a guy named Saul of Tarsus, who became known as Paul the Apostle. And we're going to read more about him today. And then last week, Andrew talked about the importance of having faithful prayers and trusting that God will work even when we maybe feel limited. This week, we're going to be examining the incredible courage of these early Christians in the face of great challenge. I love this word, courage. Have you ever found yourself lacking courage? I've always been inspired by voices of courage and examples of courage, possibly because when I was younger, I felt so timid and felt so fearful. See, I had a number of fears growing up, and one of them in my teen years that really just gripped me was the fear of speaking in front of people. You see, when I was a teenager, I had a stage fright experience that, that left me at a place where any time I would be in a group of more than two or three, I, my voice would quiver, I would start sweating, and I would just uh, be a mess. And so, in fact, in high school and college, I pretty much resolved that I needed to find a career that I didn't have to speak in front of people. But then something happened my second year of college. I became a Christian. And I was so excited about my new faith in Christ. I was so excited about the change that Jesus brought in my life. And I was, was really really passionate about sharing that good news with others. And so, yet, I had this intense fear of speaking in front of people. And so I felt a real conflict, a real tension between this passion to share this message with others, and yet this fear that, uh, I, don't, I don't think I can speak in front of people. In fact, early on, I never even dreamed of, of someday going into full-time ministry I was just wanting to be able to lead a Bible study for some of my friends so they could hear about the difference that Jesus had made out in my life. Well, I'm grateful that after a lot of prayer and what was really driven by this newfound sense of mission, that I was able to then begin leading Bible studies and sharing Jesus with others. You see, I believe mission will allow us to drive past some fears. 
This theme of mission is developed throughout the book of Acts. As we see the beginning of the earliest uh, church, the followers of Jesus as they're forming the church and spreading the good news of Jesus throughout the world. In fact, in Acts 1, uh, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells of after the resurrection, Jesus spending a period of 40 days impressing upon those first followers, the apostles, uh, the importance of them living out their life mission. In Acts 1, where we listen into this conversation beginning in verse 6, so when the apostles were with Jesus, he replied in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As we read this biblical description in the book of Acts, we see the growth of the early church. It began in Jerusalem, it spread to Judea, it spread over to Samaria, and then as we keep reading through the book of Acts, we see it spreads throughout the world. It truly was amazing in 30 years, the good news, the gospel of Jesus spread throughout the entire world. Fascinating. In fact, in, in Acts 13 through 26, we see, in fact, earlier, if you back up even earlier, in Acts chapter 8, uh, we find this guy from Ethiopia that becomes a Christian. And so the gospel spreads to the continent of Africa. By the way, I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Jerusalem is in the Middle East in Israel, but it's technically Asia. So that's where the gospel began. Jesus is Asian. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but he is. That was his his native country there, and he grew up. And then it spreads to Africa, and then you read in Acts 13, it spreads on into Europe. And then because of that, the, the, the early Christians, those early Christian leaders, guys like Paul, were able to really have an influence on some very important people of their day. Uh, one of those we'll read about in Acts chapter uh, 26, where we're going to begin our reading, we'll see uh, that the Apostle Paul tells his powerful testimony to some very significant leaders of his day in that region. Uh, uh, Agrippa, uh, the king of the Jews, even though maybe he was a puppet king for Rome, and also uh, the governor there of that entire region, a guy named Festus. Now, if we would take time and start reading in verses 15 through 18, Paul tells his story of how he had had this personal encounter with Jesus and how Jesus had made all the difference in his life. Picking up in verse 19, though, we see that Paul has a powerful message to share with his small audience of about three people. In verse 19, it says, and so King Agrippa, Paul says, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God, and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. Verse 23, I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead, and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. 
I love this message. It's a brief message, but it's a powerful one. In fact, one of the commentators that I read and researched preparing for this message said that actually in this message you see a great breakdown of powerful, effective preaching. As we see that Paul roots his message directly in Scripture, as he appeals to the writing of the prophets of the Old Testament and of Moses. And here at Southwest, we want to make sure that our teaching is always rooted in Scripture. Then he proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah. And yet he doesn't portray Jesus as this, as this political Messiah, but yet as a suffering Messiah that would be crucified. And yet the story didn't end with Jesus' death because instead there's this new beginning of hope with the resurrection from the dead. And then he says that this good news is described as God's light, which calls people from every background to repent. And then he defines repentance of saying, it's not just saying you're sorry, but it's, it's having this change of heart, a change of mind that leads to a change of life. I love great preaching as it's recorded in the Bible. I love listening to great preaching. I follow podcasts of preachers throughout the country. I love listening to sermons. I love hearing and watching on video those in the past who've done a great job preaching. This weekend, as a nation, we're honoring an individual that I think was a great changer of, 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 of our culture in the 20th century, a guy named Martin Luther King Jr. And you know, I, I, I respect Dr. King in many ways. In fact, every Martin Luther King Day, I go back and read one of his sermons or watch one of them online. You can do that. And I find him inspiring as an individual, but I find him a fascinating preacher. And I love how powerful he preached uh, a message that I think many people of his generation, maybe many people of our generation, still need to hear. And to honor him and to just this, this, in the spirit of courage in the midst of opposition, let's just listen in to one of my favorite speeches of Dr. King. Now, I, I know you're going to think it's the, I have a dream speech, but it's not. One of my favorite speeches is the one he delivered, the last one he delivered right before he was assassinated. Let's listen to this ending of this powerful message.
I love that. I get chills every time I see that. Just the power that he preached, but also how prophetic that was because he knew that his time was short. I'm inspired by individuals like Dr. King that were willing to stand up in the face of even at times powerful opposition. If you're taking notes, our first point was powerful testimony. Our second point is powerful opposition. And likewise, I'm inspired by the courage of the Apostle Paul that he demonstrated in the face of powerful opposition of his day. Remember, he's preaching this message we just read to the the power brokers of his day, King Agrippa and the governor Festus. And let's listen in to how they responded to his powerful message. In In fact, Festus interrupts him in the middle of his message. In verse 24, suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. You know, as I dug into that text, I found out that the verb that, that's translated there, shouted, can also be translated, shouted at the top of his voice. I mean, Paul received great opposition. And then King Agrippa probably sarcastically says to Paul, do you think that you can persuade me to become a Christian? You know, it's interesting. Paul goes on to say, listen, Agrippa, I would would hope that all would become like me in Christ, except for these chains, you know. And, And I could just picture him lifting his arms and the chains making that chain noise to drive home the point that he was willing to stand up against opposition. That's courage. As I read this sermon, as I read the reaction that Paul received, I ask myself, and maybe you ask yourself, why do we not receive such strong reaction to our message? Maybe it's because we're not presenting it as powerfully or as persuasively as these early Christians did. You see, they were bold and they were courageous as they shared the difference that Jesus had made in their life. And yet the text goes on to say that that Festus and Agrippa couldn't find anything really wrong with Paul, but they caved in to political pressure because they knew that if they released him, it would most likely be political suicide for them. So they answer his appeal. He appealed to Caesar, and they pass his case on for Caesar to hear. It's interesting because it it seems that Paul really wanted to go to Rome. He really wanted, in one of his letters, he says, I've longed to go to Rome and share the gospel there. You know, and, and it seems to me that he's wise because he's going to let the Roman Empire pay for his travel to the capital. And so they put him on this ship under Roman guard, and they ship him off to Italy. And let's read about that in Acts 27 and verse 1, which is, by the way, if you've never read Acts chapter 27, I want to encourage you, we're going to just read snippets of it today. I want to encourage you to go home and read it, because this is a powerful chapter in Scripture. In Acts 27 and verse 1, it says, when the time came, we set sail for Italy. 
Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. It's interesting. It seems like on the way to to Rome, Paul is able to use this voyage to also encourage Christians along the way. One commentator wrote this description about the author's Luke's writing of this voyage in Acts 27. He said, this is F.F. Bruce, he said, Luke's narrative of the voyage and shipwreck of Paul is a small classic in its own right as graphic a piece of descriptive writing as anything in the Bible. So let's buckle in and let's be ready to read as we learn about this powerful storm that they, they experience in the Mediterranean Sea. In verse 13, it says, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. You see, they, they wanted to harbor in this, this part of Crete called Phoenix, So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. Verse 20, the terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars, and until at last, all hope was gone. Maybe... Maybe we shouldn't have planned to study this text on this weekend. I don't know. But it does seem an appropriate text to read on a weekend that we've had yet another winter storm. And by the way, I just want you to know that uh, myself and our leaders, we, we struggle at times to know how to respond to these winter storms. Last night I was praying for wisdom. I was texting and emailing other leaders within the church Uh, with what decision we should make as we want everyone uh, to be safe. We don't want anyone to be hurt or feel in danger. And yet we also have this tension. We want to do our best to offer opportunities every weekend here at Southwest for people to be encouraged, for people to have their faith strengthened. And so along the way, I just want to say this, our heart's desire is to empower people to make the best decision for them and their family. And, um, and we prayed a lot about that, and, and I'm hopeful uh, that you'll be glad that you made the journey in today. My hunch is we prayed a lot for this weekend. My hunch, there was a lot of praying going on on this ship. As they're pushed out away from Crete, and they get pushed out into the middle of the Mediterranean. Now, There's probably prayers being offered up to multiple gods because, you see, there were Roman sailors and Roman soldiers on this ship. They were on an Egyptian ship, so my hunch is there was just a lot of different people, probably people of not of faith. And yet, here we see the storm reaches typhoon or hurricane status, and we're told that both the prisoners and the crew on the ship, that all hope is lost. Now, obviously, I know this is a physical storm, and yet I think we can see a strong parallel of our life, of sometimes how we face storms in life, whether it's the, the, the storm of a troubled marriage, 
Maybe it's the storm of of conflict in our family. Maybe it's the storm of a personal addiction that maybe began with just a bad habit, but it just has taken on a whole new storm that's creating hurricane-type damage in our life. Maybe for you it's a storm of financial challenges or a derailed career. I don't know what that storm might be in your life, maybe, maybe in the past, maybe present, or maybe what storm you might face in the future. And yet I think we can take some lessons from this story and apply it to our lives and for us to have faith and courage in the midst of storms that life might bring. Let's keep reading in verse 21. Finally, Paul called the crew together. By the way, I love how leaders emerge in the midst of storms. Paul's a prisoner. But what we read as we keep reading in Acts 27, he takes charge. Verse 21, finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You know, this is your ultimate, I told you so, okay? And, and, and Paul had told them, let's harbor for the winter in this, this port called Fair Haven. Now, that should have been a good, good warning for them, you know, a good reminder, Fair Haven. That sounds like a good, safe place. to. But instead, they wanted to go on to Phoenix, and, and it created all kinds of problems. He goes on to say, you should have avoided, you could have, would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me, and he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. I don't know about you, but I love this description of Paul's faith and his courage in the midst of a storm. I love how he just says, I believe God. And it will be just as he said. The New International Version in verse 25 reads, So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. In so many ways, this one verse summarizes what courageous faith is all about. Sometimes in life, things just seem to be lining up in all the negative ways. And possibly our future is, seems in doubt, we're not certain, and we're just kind of, we're worried, we're scared, we don't know what to think. And possibly when we've gone through things like that in the past, we've been knocked down and maybe knocked out, and now here it comes again, another storm, and it's in that time that our faith is really tested. It's in that moment that I think we need to hear what Paul said, have faith in God. He'll deliver on his promises. You know, this weekend, 
on Friday night, my wife and I found ourselves in a hospital room of a young person, 24-year-old young lady, who'd suffered a traumatic allergic reaction. Her name is Chloe Alt. We've asked you to pray for her in the prayer list, through emails. I want to ask you today to pray for Chloe. You see, she had a peanut allergy, and, and she had one bite of something that caused her to go into shock, and it's created all kinds of physical problems. In fact, as we sat, stood by her bedside and talked to her parents, they shared with us the tough news that, that this past week, some of the doctors had said there's no hope. That was a tough situation for Jane and I to find ourselves in. What would you say to someone that shares that news with you? And I just prayed, God, give me words. You know, I'm not like Paul. I didn't have an angel appear to me, so I, I can't say with certainty how their particular story is going to end out. I wish I could, but I did feel like I needed to do what Paul did for these folks, that I needed to help her parents get their hearts and their faith centered in God. And so I read Scripture to them. And I read the Scripture that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. That God's an all-powerful God. And that God can at times do the impossible. And I anointed Chloe with oil, and I prayed over her, and I prayed for a miracle, a miraculous recovery. And I pledged her parents that my wife and I would pray daily for Chloe to recover. And I shared with them that I would urge our church to pray the same. And so I want to ask you, will you join me praying daily for Chloe? And that even when all hope is lost by some, that God can intervene and do the impossible. Honestly, that was a tough one for me. I hope I said what was right. I hope I said what was best. But it wasn't the first time that I've sat with people, maybe not for a physical storm, but I've sat down with people that are going through emotional or spiritual or relational storms, and they've given up hope. And I have felt at times like that, that I, I need to do what the Apostle Paul did and to call people to trust in God, to put their faith in God and to trust his promises that God is a God that's always present and God is a God that can do the impossible. Oh, I know that we can't predict how everything's always going to end up, but I do believe we're called to be a people of faith. And I do believe we're called to cling to verses like we just read where Paul said, have faith in God. 
And it will happen just as he told me. As we keep reading in Acts 27, we see that that God in a powerful way leads Paul and his missionary companions to their eventual destination of Rome. And yet not without some exciting adventure along the way. You might not be real, real familiar with the Mediterranean Sea, but you can see as they leave uh, Asia, they fly, they, they, they uh, sail on down to Crete, that's that island where they do a little loop, and then they get pushed way out into the middle of the Mediterranean, and it's rough. They run into this powerful typhoon storm. In fact, as I read this story, I couldn't help but think of a contrast of this story with another biblical story. Maybe some of, of you thought of it as well. You see, in the Old Testament, there's this story of a guy named Jonah. When he was given a command from God, instead of obeying that command, he ran from God. He ran in the opposite direction. And he finds himself on a ship as well. And, and, and he finds himself in the midst of a storm. In fact, he's sleeping and they wake him up and he says, okay, I know what the problem is. It's me. Throw me overboard. And, and they, they resisted, but finally they did. And then the waters are calm. What a contrast. Because instead of Jonah running from God, Paul is courageously living out his life, seeking to be obedient to God. In fact, he urges them to stay with the ship, to instead throw the cargo and to even throw food over the the ship and to trust God. Let's keep reading in verse 30. It says, then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine, I can imagine these sailors saying, we're in the Navy and we're having the army cut the boats away. But you see, Paul takes charge and he takes leadership And he says, listen, God has promised if we stay with the ship, we'll be okay. And so they cut off the lifeboats and these 200 plus, I think it's 270 some people on this ship, they hang on and they're in the storm. And they're gonna try to run the ship aground on the island of Malta at a spot which is to this day is called St. Paul's Bay. Well, as they hit the shore of Malta, they hit a sandbar. And the ship gets stuck while the the side of the ship gets struck with waves beating up against it. The ship starts falling apart. And at this time, the soldiers kick into survival mode thinking if the prisoners escape, they'll get killed. And so they go want to kill them. And let's read in in verse 42, the soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul. So he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim but jump aboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks. Can you picture that? Or debris from the broken ship. So everyone escape safely 
to shore. I love this story. How Paul urged a whole ship, even full of unbelievers, to trust God, and God delivered on his promises. And they all come ashore at one of today's Malta's largest cities named St. Paul's Bay. Now, there's more interesting stuff. In fact, if you've never read this story, go home and read it. It's powerful. But in Acts 28, we read a powerful ending to this book of Acts that we've done just four brief, quick looks at this month. In verse 30, it says, for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome, the capital of the empire, at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. What do we find? We find this courageous Christian leader uh, taking the message of Christ to the very center of the empire. And because of that, Christianity spreads throughout Europe. And I love how this, the book of Acts, ends with the, the way it begins, with the followers of Jesus. They were told at the beginning to boldly proclaim their faith in Jesus, and they're living it out as the book comes to end. In fact, some have suggested it comes to an end very abruptly, Some have suggested that's because God wants us and wants every generation to write the 29th chapter of how we'll boldly proclaim Jesus in our generation and how we'll surrender to God's reign in our lives. You know, I I love this shipwreck story because we see this individual named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was so surrendered to Jesus' reign in his life that he was willing to go through struggles, hardships, and literally face the storms of life head on. And he serves as an example to all of us of what it means to have courage to stay the course, to have a faith in God that even when we don't know how things might end up, that we're going to trust God and keep our eyes centered on him. And I mentioned earlier that this story reminds me of the story of Jonah, but it also reminds me of the story of Jesus, who, by the way, pointed to Jonah as a sign of his identity. You see, unlike Jonah, Jesus didn't run from danger. Instead, he willingly walked into danger, and he was obedient even to the point of death. And yet, Like Jonah, Jesus spent three days in the belly of the earth, and yet he came back from the dead. Something else that hit me as I was studying this text, preparing for this weekend, is that there's another interesting parallel in chapter 27. And I think Luke, the author, is doing a sneaky play on words to maybe get our attention. Because as they're two weeks into this this horrendous storm, you see, this wasn't just a day out on the lake. I mean, it was two weeks of fighting this typhoon weather. Paul eventually encourages the folks to, to eat after they've not eaten for two weeks. And he persuades the men, the soldiers, the sailors, have they been battling the elements to pause and share a meal together. This is the way Luke records it in verse 35. After he said this, he took some bread 
and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. Does that sound familiar? They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Now, I know that what's described here is simply a a meal to be strengthened physically. And yet I find a fascinating parallel that in the midst of the storm, Paul led them to share a meal together to find encouragement to stay the course. Have you ever thought about that word encouragement? It means to put courage in someone. As we wrap up our time talking about the courageous faith of these early Christians, even in the midst of a stormy time, let's pause and break bread, remembering the body of Christ. Let's take a cup and remember the blood of Christ. And as a result, maybe for you, you've been going through a stormy time in your life. As as a result, I hope that that you'll take courage of the one who we follow, the one who was obedient to death. And that you'll be reminded as we begin another week, as we begin this year, that no matter what storm life might bring your way, that if you and I keep our faith and our hearts focused on the one that we follow, Jesus, if we'll keep our faith in him and his promises, then we'll have the courage to stay the course no matter what life brings. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for these great stories of faith. Sometimes we miss them. Thank you for Paul's courage. Help us apply that to our life. Help us be encouraged by him, be encouraged by the one we follow, Jesus, how he died for us, and yet how he's alive. Help give us renewed faith and renewed strength to stay the course for yet another week. We thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Help us remember that sacrifice and center our hearts and lives in you at this time. Amen.